You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. The most annoying thing, the most wonderful thing about... How about I Hello, listeners to the Punk Theology Podcast. My name is Russ Shaw, your host, and kicking off the uh, audio adventure you're about to embark on. The question today... On episode 23, season 2 of the podcast, which you can learn more about on the website punktheology.com. Why do I mention that? What do we want? Fame, fortune, riches. If I had these bills paid, if I could do what I wanted to do, if I could... If I had, you know, accolades, if if people admired me, then I'd be happy. Right? Is that true? Look around, you know, we have some evidence in culture that maybe not, but it, it feels like maybe for us, like those people are idiots, man. If I, if I had that, <laughs> we, we, uh, we talk about it here today. Missing Chuck and Steve in the studio today, so four punks handled this topic, which makes it uh, sometimes even more interesting. I don't know. Who knows? It's a work in progress. Kicking it off with a bumper by Mr. David Bowie. Very pertinent to the topic, David Bowie. Billie Eilish, you guys heard of? Billie yes, her new song is really good. She's almost like a she's Bowie. Very dark. She seems like a yeah, she's dark, but it's sort of melodic and I'm interested. I'm, it's weird that really young people are into. She's 17. She's great. As we speak, she's 17 years old. Billie Eilish. I'm not, not tearing up the chart. I like her. World tour. Actually, like I said, it's, it's got a very dark tone, but yeah, it's got this melodic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. I think she's the she's the so female David Bowie of this generation. Her, her, her earlier stuff is so so, but her newest song act was really. I'll good. check it out. Yeah, Billie Eilish. So, uh, Derek, fame. Yeah. So I mean, that's it's a topic that's pertinent right now. Yeah. I think uh, there's well, last two three years have really just been really heavy with all these famous icons, rock stars, really famous people just having meteoric crashes to earth mm-hmm. yeah. and just, you know, being absolutely <coughs> destroyed career-wise and reputation-wise. Or some dying. With yeah. justifiably good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, you're really fucking sick. Yeah. And you did, you hurt a lot of people. And ta- And just, I've been thinking a lot about how that was a really sharp transition for us as a society. Hmm. And how, starting really, I think 1969 was probably when it really first started to come forward. The I, the cultural identity or the cultural position in our society of a rock star started to evolve. And, mm-hmm. and, and fame started to become a really big part of that. And there was kind of this agreement with society of we get to do whatever the fuck we want <laughs> to do. And... 
it's kind and it's celebrated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's kind of anti-authoritarian. Uh, it ramped up through the 70s, hit its peak mid 80s, plateaued for a really long time. Um, and it was, you know, it's it's all everybody through the 80s and 90s took advantage of that. Like everyone thinks they could be Keith Richards. Right, and or, and just party forever. Decadence. And and the yeah. more you do it, the more you get rewarded. It's not even that there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. It's like we're gonna pump money into letting you do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Just extreme hedonism, and it was a vicarious relationship with the rest of society. Yeah. Of like, like you guys get to do this, but you you have to show us what it's like and talk us through it, so that we can kind of live little moments of wow, it would be amazing to live this ultra hedonistic fantasy world uh but the the dark side of it is all that shit is just fantasy and when Mm -hmm. you actually see the reality of how that fantasy plays out it's really fucking dark yeah Mm -hmm. it's really awful it's not that sexy right it's like (laughs) there's a picture going around it's probably been a couple of years now of uh rendering of homer simpson if he looked like a real human being (laughs) and it's horrifying right like like if you actually make him look like flesh and blood like it's awful, and fantasies are like that. Yeah. As long as you draw nice broad strokes and keep it really simple, and you know use two or three colors, uh, and don't tie it to reality at all, uh, it's great. Right? It feels good. But then the minute you actually get into it and like, okay, I got to pragmatically make this work. Right. Uh, it's usually pretty horrible. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, and then and and then it's fascinating watching so many of these celebrities because they're kind of still operating, assuming that they're operating under this old system. And the rapid change in their society has really caught them off guard. Mm. And you keep seeing them reaching for like, but I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> like, this was the contract, right? Like, I'm... Unpack I'm, the rapid change, though. And I'm interested in, in that. Um, yeah. I think it was a culmination. I think it's probably a technological thing, mostly. Mm. And yeah. that it's really easy now to talk to each other. And it's pretty easy to maintain an anonymity. Mm-hmm. So then, all of these guys that have witnessed some horrible shit can make a shit ton of money with a simple email. Right. Mm. They can say, "Look, I know I've got some really dirty shit. Give me fifty grand, mm-hmm. and and a promise that nobody will find out who dropped this." Right. And uh, and then and that started. Like there's Jeff a, Bezos in the acquirer. It was it was right. dirtier <laughs> through the '80s. Like things changed in the '90s with the change in the music scene. Yeah, I, I just was recalling, I, I remember seeing this interview with Vince Neil from Motley Crue where he was reflecting on the whole grunge phenomenon. And his thing on it was, you know, all this music's depressing. Like, everyone knows life sucks. That's why they come to a Motley Crue concert. They want to, you know, drink <laughs> some beer, fuck some chicks. They want the fantasy. That was the difference. Life didn't suck in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. yeah, but but the it's music though bar. had a depressive kind of take. Right, because they then still, we, we could nurse that where we needed beforehand for everything coming out of the '60s. It just kept growing and growing and growing, and they were facing ugly things. Were they, they were still decadent, but they were they were still indulging, right? But it, there was something kind but it was, of it was, sad. It started tempering it. at that point. Yeah, I think it peaked 1995 with Michael Jordan. That was it. With Michael Jordan leaving basketball and going to baseball. Mm. And, like, there's a lot of... First of all, a lot of evidence from people that Michael Jordan was not a very nice person to work with. But he had an amazing reputation of being the nicest guy in the world. Uh, not, like, just super nice. Yeah. yeah, it was a total facade. And it was because he had... 
He was able, still able in that time frame to have complete control over the information that got out. I've heard that about Oprah Winfrey as well. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, I think it's true for, and that was peak. And so, and there's a decent amount, you know, you start to get weird conspiracy theories. But again, it's because Michael had so much control mm -hmm. over why he left basketball and went to baseball. And there's potentially some really dark shit behind that. And he had so much control over the media and the NBA and everything that he was able to just pass it off as... I think he got suspended from the NBA for a year and a half. Um, that they and he passed it off as, I just want to go try baseball. Yeah. Well, now I'm thinking like about that time because this is really my era. <laughs> like you have OJ Simpson. Exactly. Same you know? thing. And then compare OJ Simpson's to Ray. I Rice. believe I could fly. To who? To Ray Rice, the guy who beat the shit out of his girlfriend in the elevator. Uh, the NFL running back. I'm not familiar. So with again, that. the Ravens, both NFL. Yeah. Okay. So 2000. That was. That was the, kind of the start of this. Well, wave. everything super chilled after 9/11. That completely changed public culture. That's true. Yeah, that's, I mean everything. Uh, we're vulnerable again. Yeah, like everything sobered up. You know, movies changed that got released after that. Everything was much more feel good. Mm. You know, where things were culturally um, awesome coming through the late 90s, and and being challenging of our culture and everything else. And then we kind of had to like rah-rah human spirit after that for a while because yeah. we were so... Country music made a comeback. It did. Yeah. Well, that was... That, that country music made a comeback because rock died. And it took its place. <laughs> well, country music's got that <laughs> sappy patriotic... Yeah, patriotic. But, but the stadium rock started then where it's like, okay, now we're the big wigs that put on the huge shows right. and it's not the old school twangy thing anymore. It's right. essentially... Yeah. It became pop. Yeah, it became pop rock. So, Lights and not to, so getting back yeah. closer to the topic, um, and and it's really interesting at just talking to people, talking to my, this came up in therapy because she has a lot of people coming in talking about this, what's going on right now, or basically publicly slitting the throats of some of the people that were the most iconic mm. uh yeah, there were there were idols and icons to very specific things that we admired and adored in our upbringing and and our, and our early culture from 1969 to probably 2012, um, and how that's and there's this equal parts kind of you know blood flecked mm -hmm. passion excitement desire for justice mm -hmm. fuck this guy. Like, who the fuck does he think he is? And he's, and look at the people he's fucking hurt. Like, what a monster. But also at the same time, like, kind of traumatizing. Yeah. Like, fuck, my idols just got dragged up on stage and had their throats slit yeah. in front of the entire world. Well, we talked about that like, this week on our thread. I was mentioning Bill Cosby Bill and Michael exactly. Jackson. Bill like, Cosby's. Dr. Huxtable? What the fuck? Like, yeah. really? In the most wholesome show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just tons and tons of them. I mean, honestly, the position of presidency is in that spot. Just yeah. Not, yes. Just the, like really, <laughs> like like we. I used to, to have a lot of respect for that office. I felt like it was yeah. a good kind of sacred thing, and it's just. What has been going on? Live that blowjob now <laughs> seems quaint. Right. Like, <laughs> like oh, that was so cute, and we thought that was a big deal. Yeah. An intern uh, blew you, and well, who was the don't was lied about it to like, hide your shame? But Donald Trump. Like, Back in the wow. '60s, though, there was a Kennedy that what he picked up a hooker and then drove her into a fucking lake or something. Yeah, like that. but you could cover it up. You could cover it up. Yeah. Oh, you know, he's a Kennedy. What is he doing? 
You yeah. don't believe him, right? He's got credibility. And there's kind of a like a, a missing of these icons. They're almost saints. Well, we don't it's give like, them the power like, anymore. Right. Yeah, well, it's we like, the, it's the contract you were talking about. Right. Right. That contract is broken. Not completely. But, I mean, I think it still exists in some realms. I mean, but it has limits on it now. It used to be pretty unlimited. Like you, again, like OJ. Like fuck. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll <laughs> like, see how far R. Kelly goes. Right. Oh yeah, he yeah, freaked R. out. Kelly, shit. Uh, but um, yeah, now there's like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. No but, kids, no rape. <laughs> they still have like the Drakes and the Kanyes of the world. Right. Um, yeah. So I, it's probably just been toned down in terms of like, and again, there's. And, well, you can't, you can't show it as much anymore publicly. Right. Like you still get it. That that relationship still exists. But you have to hide it a lot more and, and PR it and yeah, I just well the media you gotta, you gotta hire someone to you know run your Instagram and and it may, and it may media. not work. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. There's a there's a chance before you were pretty much guaranteed. Look, we can cover this up. We can spin this. It's fine. But there's now there's a point of like look, we might not be able to catch this in time. Kanye's overcoming batshit crazy. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah. Look at uh, but Mike Tyson. He didn't rape any kids, as far as Mike I know. Tyson raped a woman, and and now we're starting to like, oh, you know. Like him again. But he did he did tell his story, and he everybody jail, got to see too. like all his fucked up childhood. He slit his own throat. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. And see, and I think that's the difference is is when you have that empathy. We're kind of like we talked about the last show. My issue with all the pastors is they just fucking put your shit in the light, you know. You well, tell Christians to do it. But the times, the, the, the times have changed. That can't be understated enough. Like with the R. Kelly thing, who I don't really follow. I don't certainly don't like his music. But, <laughs> but but it, it's like a fact that I mean, journalists, Are you still memoirs have, have documented Steven Tyler, Mick Jagger, they uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, the Beatles. They all fucked underage girls. Right. And it was it's like that contract you're talking about. That's what boys will yeah. be boys. That's what rock stars do. And, we, uh, and that's what society wanted. Was people that could get away with anything? Yeah, because we Led can live, the we can live vicariously fish. off of like, well, at least somebody gets to do whatever the fuck they want and have no consequences. Is now the vicarious sort of element to it? Is is now I get to watch you fall? I think again, it's this dichotomy, this tearing inside of like, again, like string the fucker out. That's a lynch mob, right? Like yeah, it's a it's a it's a, that excitement of a lynch mob, but also like. Oh, but like that guy, like I, that guy, I can't re-listen to Bill Cosby stand up anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, listening to Michael Jackson again is just gonna have a, like that's really yeah. A bunch of radio stations since this documentary came out are pulling his music. Yeah, it's just his like, music's wow. so good. It is a lot it's of it so is. I mean, some isn't, yeah. but, a, but a lot is yeah. definitely for nostalgia. Cosby, people have been crucified for less. That's true. Pete Rose, yeah. baby. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Gambling? What? <laughs> but again, again here's, here's, here's a guy who's like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, you know? Just come out and go, fuck, you know, I fucked around. I did some gambling, you know, I'm sorry. I went through rehab or whatever. And and we tend to be kind of a forgiving culture. Again, Mike Tyson. Well, we want, again, we want to forgive these guys. Yeah, we do. We'd like to not have we to want a redemption story right you know? we want a redemption story louis ck's response to the me too movement and his accusations was pretty classic yeah, yeah. like and yeah. people still shit all over it well and it's but it's also <laughs> super bad. pathetic it's right. like 
But that's good. That's humility, though, right? You watch. Louis C.K. will be back in three, four years. But his, also, his fame literally revolved around bullshit like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, his entire comedy is exactly his life. Yes. Yeah, yeah he's very... So what he, he he goes, is the laugh Nobody was holding him up like Michael Jordan. Right. There's there's a really interesting thread on Reddit that kind of exploded talking about modern sainthood on the internet culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like the big three right now are Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. Bob Ross, and Steve Irwin. And part of that, especially the last couple of years, is all, <laughs> is all this stuff is well, they're dead. And that's the oh. important thing. Is that they have been dead for more than a decade, and nothing's come out about <laughs> them ever doing They're anything clean. bad. Yeah. They're clean, and so they achieve like what do they call that in the Catholic Church? Um, veneration. Venerate. They've been venerated, yeah. and they get this position in our pop culture society of like this is it. This right. is they're safe. They're not gonna fuck anything up because they're dead. Mm-hmm. Like they can't ruin this for us. They've been completely venerated. Uh, so as high as you can get is like painting on public television. Anything more corrupts you? Is that like the moral exactly. of Bob well, Ross? And, the, and the, the ironic thing about all this is they, all three of them, had very tempered fame. Hmm. They, they, they were very much like they were household names, but they were, they were consistent, they weren't wild and crazy, and they were all very giving people. Mm-hmm. They were invested in actually changing the world. And not and just being famous, yeah. like they had other centered. Yeah, they had. They were themselves right. too, and they had. They were very meaning focused people. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like Bob what Ross's I, fame was posthumous. Like, right, it's true. Yeah, like yeah, people just yeah, people kind of discovered our generation kind of discovered him late. Uh, like, oh wow, the happy like, tree guy. This guy just <laughs> really liked painting, and he was had a really calming voice, and really liked people, and was just a gentle person that liked doing what he was doing. And didn't go fucking crazy trying to get famous, um, which I think is part of also what we're kind of sick of in this culture, is the people that are trying to get famous to be famous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to get like famous. Like Kardashians. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, they, Paris Hilton yeah. started that, Kardashians iterated on top of it, uh-huh. and then, you know, YouTube personalities and influencers is just built off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, there's something beautiful about being famous because you're the master of your craft. Mm-hmm. And we seem to have moved away. It still exists largely in sports, which is nice. But there's, but even in sports, it's starting to be corrupted with, I want to be famous to be famous because I want to be part of that contract that says I get to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, and I'd, I'd rather blow off the whole I need a talent thing if mm. I can. Yeah. I'd rather just move straight on to the where do I sign the contract that says I get to do what I want. Yeah. Uh, and that's... <laughs> there are some famous uh, people right now that I think are somewhat grounded. Right. Um, like I was having a discussion recently with one of my coworkers about Joe Rogan and how yeah. like, he keeps his family like super secret, like out of the public light Pretty completely. Pretty grounded guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, he still puts himself out there. He's been in a lot of stuff, like, in front of people. Um, and his podcast is pretty personal. It is. Um, but he still has this private life that is, um, that isn't trying to milk the fame. Like, he's building his family not around yeah. that. Not in that eye, you know, not like yeah. Will Smith or something. <laughs> the Kardashians. Um, yeah. And then, and then the other one that comes to mind is um, uh, Hugh Jackman. 
who right. just seems it like he still like plays the PR game, but he still seems really grounded. Like a lot of the things he does is just kind of normal, and he he takes his craft seriously. Vigo Mortensen, another one, seems like a pretty grounded dude. Yeah, just yeah, not. not really. There's some examples. Michael J. Fox, I think, is another one where he he got Parkinson's, you know, and didn't flaunt. I mean, he told his story a little bit, but he didn't. I mean, that was encroaching on his family. I think that's where he started drawing the line and pulling himself out of the public eye. Like when I said, oh, well, how's your family? Is your wife taking care of you? And he's like, no, I'm out. Fuck you. But it'll be interesting to see when these people die and 10 years pass, if they get venerated into the modern pop culture uh, sainthood. Well, th there's this other uh, phenomenon that happens when people die. Like... Uh, George Michael, Whitney Houston, Prince, Tom Petty. I actually really like Tom Petty. The rest of those artists were great. I mean, Whitney Houston, whatever. I probably wouldn't listen to Whitney Houston. But I, anyway, when these people die, I didn't know that they had so many fans. I didn't know that right. so many of like, like the people I was friends with just loved Prince so much. Or, my, or George Michael. It's like, when the fuck is the last time you listened to a George Michael record? Give me a yeah. break. You know? But... That happens when a young, famous person dies. The grief seems to be magnified. I don't know if that's part of this. Yeah. I think that's the connection to death. That's the connection yeah. to death, but doesn't it seem more magnified? you got to have faith, John. you got to have faith. No, there's definitely <laughs> something of, like, they die, and one, record sales go through the roof, usually. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, whatever they were producing. Nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. There's, and, and there's, like, oh, they're, they're never going to produce anything again. And then there's also, like, a... They're not. They don't have a chance to fuck this up, <coughs> right? Like, well, like, is this topic inspired somewhat by Bohemian Rhapsody too? Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but oh, it's, it's, good, it's a good movie. Yeah. Watch it. Yeah, I've heard all the old. I go to old record stores and I look for old vinyl, and all the Queen records are worth three times more. Than oh, are they? <laughs> you know, but there was nothing. Yeah, uh, but that was also in the era when when rock was was huge and bigger than life, and right. and. You know, Freddie Mercury's portrayed in a way that uh, I, I wasn't super aware of his personal life when I was growing up. I mean, I grew up liking Queen music, but uh, it was a little bit, the, its heyday was a little bit before my time. Right. Um, so it was just one of those, oh, these are these classic artists that are huge and enormous and, you know, just not current when I was reaching high school age and really engaging in rock. But, you know, it was, it was one of those things. One of those artists that I liked a lot, and I liked a lot of their music, um, and, and it was it was almost like a novelty in that era, going through the '90s. Of oh, there was this guy who was huge, and he like did that, and he was gay, which was fascinating at the time because people weren't coming. He was also out an African then. immigrant. People tend to gloss over that. Part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was Middle Eastern dude. And I didn't know that until the movie. Also, another interesting thing about Queen is when he joined Queen, one of the first songs he wrote. Was about Jesus, hmm. and it's on the first album. Well, he's an Astros, Zoroastrian, and it's sort of a mystery. Like, there's people that kind of speculate on why he did it. Oh, he he got converted in college, and or uh, he got really he was a uh, he was inspired by Jesus Christ Superstar, which was kind of out during that time. And, but nobody really knows why. But they saved from Jesus, Jesus Christ Superstar. Is that like a <laughs> it's a big no. push towards evangelicalism? No, 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 no. no it is not. <laughs> but he was in, he, he was inspired by it, and the song kind of 
the song, so that was the first song that he wrote. It was the first song on the record. And a lot of uh, the media tagged Queen as a, um, what do you call it, psychedelic rock. Because it sounded very psychedelic at the time. Um, that song did. And that first album, which wasn't really their most popular. But anyway, but yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody is a great example of a dude. And, and it's like the, the movie sort of humanized him and showed his humanity and showed his humility. And kind of like you were saying about about homosexuality and guys who, who grow up in a culture where you're supposed to be the man. Mm -hmm. He gets married to a, a woman. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like his wife that goes, Freddie, you're gay, you know? Like, I've known for a while and you're trying to kind of... Pretend you're not. Pretend you're not. And it's almost like... And he's in tears and he's like really struggling with the fact that this is this is who he is and he can't change that as hard as he fucking wants to. So so to Bohemian Rhapsody and I was reflecting on Neo Strauss's great book The Dirt and there's a Netflix movie coming out based on The Dirt which one of my favorite bands growing up Molly Crew. Mm -hmm. And okay so to Bohemian Rhapsody and to The Dirt there there was this formula before of of sex success excess and then kind of like relapse and rehab, right? right? That was like the VH1 behind the music formula, you know, that's what yeah. happened everyone. It's basically the follows the titles of Eminem's albums. <laughs> right. It's, that's that story. <laughs> but but now yeah. but now because I, I, I was reflecting on this, I had some nineties playlists on, like some random playlists. And uh it's a bunch of like Seattle stuff and kind of some nineties grungy stuff like uh uh Soundgarden and Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains, like, oh shit, like all those guys are dead. Like the only one that's alive is Eddie Vedder. Like yeah. all those guys are dead. Suicide or overdose, it's like they don't get to the rehab anymore. It's either yeah. suicide or overdose now. That seems to have changed. Is that something like Vince Neil's I'm still alive? Brett that. Michaels is still alive. Ozzy Osbourne's still alive. Yeah. Think about that. Miraculous. One of the things it's, it's kind of like you were saying about Motley Crue earlier and how it's kind of party rock and everybody have fun. But so Nikki Six wrote two books, and, and I tracked Nikki Six. Nikki Six is still alive. <laughs> Nikki Six is, is an ex addict. He wrote a book called The Heroin Diaries. That dude tw died twice. Talking about being flatlined, dead over an overdose twice. Yeah. That guy was Does brought it? back by the EMTs. But he wrote, he said, he said, shout at the devil. He said that song, when it came out, First, he wanted to call it Shout With the Devil, mm -hmm. and the record company talked him into changing it. But he said it was it was sort of a, a, a moving moment in his own story because he realized that what he was shouting at and all this energy that was coming out of him was just, fuck the world, and, and you know, his he's from Seattle, too. Uh, Nikki Six is a Seattle guy. Hmm. Eastern Washington, and then he moved to the U District with his mom. Um, but that, that whole just... Again, layers, right? So this this kind of party rock was birthed out of pain, because mm -hmm. that dude Nikki Six was the was escapism's the, birthed out of pain. Yeah, 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 exactly. And well, and he was the you know creative. If force. you follow that trend, John, I mean, just look at the attitudes of the genres of that music. Mm -hmm. One of them is live as live hard as die as, yeah. <laughs> Why well, is live right? Like mm -hmm. absolute hedonism, like enjoy stuff. Enjoy everything to the max amount possible, mm -hmm. and then the '90s stuff was fucking depressing. Like <laughs> it was written by people that were borderline suicidal constantly, yeah. and didn't feel like they had much to live for. And they're trying to find something to live for in the music, 
I think they just gave up. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, maybe it's just an orientation thing. I don't know. Again, that movie with uh, Kurt Cobain, the uh, what the heck? What was it? Uh, a few years ago, there were several, so like some of the conspiracy theories about like Courtney or whatever. It was in the it was in the Seattle Film Festival, and then it was on HBO. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I know the I know the documentary. It yeah, was yeah. really good. Heck is in it instead of hell, which is funny. But but it showed him and Courtney in the in the house there. The montage of heck. The montage of heck. That's right. And and a lot of that showed his story growing up. Some of it was animated. Aberdeen and Aberdeen's cool like that. I, I Aberdeen's Aberdeen. a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but he's cool part is not of, one of them. No, they, they dedicated depressing, part, very sad. <laughs> right. It's very Nirvana. When you drive into Aberdeen now, there's a sign that says "Come as you are." Right. But they, they dedicated a park to frickin' Kurt. And it's the same park Is where... people go to kill themselves? No, no. The, the <laughs> song... The song somewhere... Uh, I forget the name. The last album, the last Nirvana album, was called By the Banks of the Muddy Wishishaw. Which is right, which is that park that they dedicated to Kurt, and and he wrote songs under the bridge, and that whole bridge is graffiti that's mm-hmm. covered in graffiti. It's beautiful. It's like a little shrine to Kurt by graffiti artists, um, but uh, some something's in the way. He he mentions being under that bridge and that song. Uh, so again. Yes, it's it's borderline suicidal, but then, like, that guy could just, a fucked up family situation, um, this is what he did with his life, is the, is the art. But I think you're right in the sense that fame kills people, you know? Well, I think, I mean, so where I'm hoping to take this conversation would be, like, your own desires for fame, trying to remember times in your life where wanting to be famous and why that was, and that's been something I've been thinking about. Because I've definitely had times where that draw felt really strong. Hmm. Um, I think for me, it was just, you know, attachment disorder issues hmm. of wanting to feel loved mm-hmm. and feeling like, like look, if I can get 50,000 people in a fucking stadium to scream how much they love me, maybe that thing inside of me will actually believe it. Mm. Right, mm. like it does for two hours. Right, <laughs> yeah. and that's and I, and I think that's a huge part of a lot of why people become stars. Yeah. The people that are focused on fame, that are doing it to be famous, I think that's part of what they're trying to fill. Is it just another is, drug? Like the high is so good from your own social response in your head. Too. You know, you're yeah. just getting huge yeah. hits of dopamine. But I mean, I'm, maybe even oxytocin. I mean, it's all those things. For me, I think the attachment issue is really significant, strong front and center of, like, I just don't feel loved. Mm -hmm. Even from the people that are in front of me telling me they love Mm -hmm. me, it just doesn't... Because you've got to do life with everybody. Well, there's no depth. And it's bouncing off of something. They walked into the bathroom after you had Mexican food. Like, they know your shit. No, (laughs) but that love has no half-life. It exists only in the moment. The and fame just, love you. Mean. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm in front of you and you're yelling and I feel it and it's real and it's palpable right. and as soon as it's over, it's like gone. And it's also, I mean, it's... Well, you know, maybe maybe it extends into the dressing rooms. In, my ca- in our case, it's largely imagined too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fantasy of maybe when I get this, I'll finally feel loved. Yeah. Uh, which I think a lot of people that do accomplish it are severely disappointed. There's some interesting stories about people like... Uh, Stallone and, <laughs> yeah. and Babs and 
like getting famous and just turning into miserable people. Michael like, Jordan, we talked yeah. about that's a famous one. Like, Thinking what? that this was like, okay, I'll finally feel love and acceptance, and this doesn't. Or continuing the high, what Arthur just said is one of the stories I read about Nirvana was after they appeared on the Saturday Night Live for the first time, this up and coming band that gets signed to Saturday Night Live, they play Saturday Night Live. Kurt Cobain had a heroin overdose that night. EMTs had to be called to the hotel room. Like, here you are at one of the most successful pinnacle parts of your life. And, and you, you do a fucking bunch it. of heroin, like, right after the show. But to keep that, maybe to keep that high going, like you're saying, just keep it going. So what's the difference for the people who make it into late-stage life and they're still, like, seemingly okay? I think it comes down to that Mr. Rogers, like, they're trying to master their craft. They're still focused on that. And they're focused on meaning that is not centered on the fame. Like, they're, they're acting, they're doing things that made them famous still. They're not running after fame. Well, this is something I've been working on in therapy, is this concept of differentiation. I can never right. say that. And, and basically, that's the whole idea of just being a centered self where your, your kind of contentment isn't dependent on externals. And I think that's what you're talking about, Derek, is, is these people had a good center and they could take or leave the fame, but the fame wasn't why they were doing right. what they were doing. The fame just happened to happen. Right. But I think that's what we're, we're talking about. That's, that's the way to enjoy it, perhaps. That's the key and to you it. you see that and you pick up on that, I think. Yeah. And it was like that person just... Uh, and again, I think that's one of the more exciting parts of sports in general is that it's really hard to... The sports is so competitive that it's really hard... For people to get to the positions they get without loving it at some level, mm. um, whereas in other venues, at some point you can stop loving it and still just make it work. Mm. Like that's kind of the story of the late stage rock star, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but we'll just patch this fucking thing together. <laughs> like no, like you know, I'll just do the same old shit that I've been doing forever. I'm just in it for the fame and the money and the power and the influence. Uh, Making music doesn't have anything to do with why I'm doing this anymore. Whereas in sports, like you gotta at least some love. You gotta it. perform. You gotta love yeah. it. Yeah, I um, I recently saw a uh, interview with uh, Lily Tomlin, who's hmm. 82 years old now or whatever, and you know she's been famous forever, right. and actually had pretty big things happen decade after decade in her career. Right. You know, she wasn't super prolific in her older years, but she still kept making movies right. and was in... Stuff was coming out that was getting reviewed. Yeah, and she's in a big Netflix show right. now with Jane Fonda, and it's pretty funny. Um, but I was, she was being interviewed by Ellen DeGeneres, and um, apparently back in 1975, Time Magazine found out that Lily Tomlin was gay. Oh, it was not publicly known. Yes, yeah. And Ellen asked her, like, hey, Time Magazine offered you the front of the magazine and said, if you want to come out, we'll put you there. And she's like, yeah, something in me knew that was not going to be good for my career in 1975. Yeah. And then they started talking about gay marriage and how, you know, Ellen got married like the day it was like legalized and Lily Tomlin took like five more years before her and her significant other that she'd been with for 40 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. Waited and then she ended up getting married, but she was like, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like we'd already been together for so long is what she told Ellen. But I wonder if part of that was part of her grounding was she had this secret thing she lived for that she wanted to keep out of the public light. And so there was this life, this thing that was important that she was protecting 
both herself and her probably her significant other from the yeah. from the fame from the public eye, and especially in those days, the judgment that would have come along with it. And maybe she didn't grab that kind of pious crack pipe and go, you know, I'm going to change the world or whatever. And I don't know, God knows what would have happened back then, but yeah, there's it's an interesting. I was listening to a podcast today about Audrey Hepburn hmm. and talking about. I mean, she really did most of her famous work in 14 years. And after that, she mostly stopped acting and just was a parent and was uh, and really got influenced in the UN and uh, doing famine relief stuff. Like, that, yeah. was, that was kind of a thing for a really long time. Um, and they were talking about this thing that, like, that's the alternate of, of someone being famous and just pursuing the craft more and more and more is someone that is at the peak of the career and is like, this doesn't, like, that doesn't interest me anymore. I'm just going to give up this fame and just go yeah. do the parents. Rick Moranis. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, Rick yeah, Moranis is a great example. Yeah. Wife got sick, died of cancer. He was like, fuck this. I'm going to raise kids. my kids. Yeah. yeah. At, at, like, the pinnacle of success. Yeah. Like, he was at the yeah. peak when that happened. At the Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and all that. He did a bunch of he stuff. He was huge. Ghostbuster. He had a he had a stretched string of, he had a string of hits over like six or seven years that was like hard to touch. You hoser. Yeah. <laughs> Bob and Doug McKenzie. Yeah, some iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, classic. John Candy. <laughs> Another one that died. John Candy. John Little Candy. Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Steve Martin. That did. Jim Belushi. <laughs> And then there's like the other side, the people who ride the fame and burn out super fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, Andrews. Andrews. Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim Morrison. Jan, or Janis Joplin. Yeah, Janis Joplin. Jimi Hendrix. What's that, the 28? 27 Club. 27 Club. Yeah. yeah. And they're almost elevated to icon status because they didn't live long right. enough to, to so take. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't get into raping kids because <laughs> they didn't live long Tempted enough they weren't chasing the dragon into the really dark parts of life right yeah that's why I, I don't know I'm, I'm a big fan of Nikki Six and what he's done He in his book he talked about quitting. when Motley Crue finally broke up he said he said yeah we didn't really hang out anymore like we got together to do tours but we weren't really friends you know yeah and he said, we were all on the road, and they were touring through Russia. And he said they were on this tour, and the hotel was like 25 miles in Russia away from the venue. And they had to take this bus back and forth. And he goes, and he goes get this, the name of the tour was the Hell Tour, very appropriately named. <laughs> and then he goes, a lot of people are going to hate, hate me for saying this, but he says, you know what, at the end of the day, being a rock star... It's just another fucking job, man. Yeah, it is. You got there, you're singing the same fucking songs in every different city. Yeah, you're going all these places, and sure, when you're young, it's awesome. You're doing all this stuff, but after a while, but he's doing six a.m. at the time too, which is kind of a a lot of that music is like recovery music, uh, if you listen to it. And and he had he had a passion for that, and that was kind of his new passion. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this now. You know. Well, I remember there was that documentary years ago. About Metallica, and I, I was never really a huge Metallica oh, fan, that's but a great so, I, you know, when I watched, I did not like it. I, I should revisit it. it. I love it. it, it, it yeah, are you yeah. guys familiar with this? It's like Metallica doing fucking some therapy. kind of monster. Some kind of monster. Mm-hmm. They're doing therapy. 
The whole thing is James Hetfield is so he's like a miserable human being because he's in recovery. And he's trying to get sober and he's well, trying he to keep this. He wasn't at the beginning. The beginning, this guy he thinks he's going to do a rock documentary. Here's how the food film starts, right? And he goes in and he's interviewing this guy, and they they get in this big fight because they're going to do this record. They get in this big fight. James Hetfield leaves. And nobody sees him for another like year and a half or something like that. And he's like, oh shit, like my documentary's over, you know, my film career's over. And then all of a sudden he finds out that he's in he's in recovery. And then it kind of comes back. And then they start dealing with their that shit. That was a lot of the focus that whole, was around his recovery. Yeah, yeah. And he well, just it wasn't seemed like a miserable. No, person. the band was dealing with their shit. That's what I liked. They about were dealing it. with his shit because he wanted to keep them all on no, a they schedule. Were with everyone's shit. I saw him. Maybe it's the way. Maybe it was by mine. Did you watch it again? Was, now that you're now that you're older, we it all revolved around Hatfield. It did. Okay, so kind of, but <laughs> it also revolved around uh, Ulrich, the drummer, because well, he had his own fucking ego. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. No, Lars. Lars. I'm not saying they're saints, Russ. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> yeah. Lars. But it was very issues. like group therapy. It's like a family fucking yeah, therapy session. Yeah, go back. We they're should watch this guy that. Forty grand a fucking month to be there. <laughs> if I remember that. <laughs> but and they fired him at the end of it, which was interesting. But it just goes to that like this isn't as fun or as sexy or as glamorous as you right. might think it yeah. is. You know, well, they're selling the fantasy. It's like all some yeah. kind of monster. That's, they, they're selling the fantasy. That's why we're willing to give them so much money and why we're willing to give them so many moral passes. Is is we don't want to hear about... That That was that whole... What was that song? Fall Out Boy, right? That's how they got big with that song about how we don't want to, to hear about the miseries of being rich and famous. Um, um, I love that stuff, though. I'm kind of a philosopher. Which was funny team. because <laughs> like Fall Out Boy turned into the ultimate like Pop bitchy... Man. Oh, whiny, spoiled. Yeah, whiny, spoiled. Yeah, but... So, yeah. my question then is, in terms of those who successfully navigate fame and those who... versus those who burn out quickly versus those who maybe, maybe do it slow and recover and come back, is it about... My, the theory I'm going to offer, is it about appetite management? Is it about basically saying like you can only feed it so much and you need to have appetites that aren't specifically that? Moderation. Yeah, but also like something outside of the fickleness of the public eye grounding you. Yeah. Something that's more normal um, or, or at least less values. fickle. Maybe it doesn't even have to be normal. Maybe it can be fucking batshit crazy. I don't know. But just something that's more stable. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, the emotional like, roller coaster of the ups and downs of fame is ridiculous. It's like trying to pin your happiness to the stock market. Right? <laughs> like, Good luck. Like, there's just not a lot of control there. Yeah. And then the question is, is that any different than every other person in life who is miserable because they overindulge mm -hmm. or aren't getting what they want because they fixate on something. Dopamine tolerance is a terrible thing. <laughs> your brain just gets used to that <laughs> shit. <laughs> it just doesn't deliver. Like or what if you're just longing for it and you're not getting it? Too. Right. Like you're yeah. miserable because you fixate on some desire that right. is just not achievable. Right. And then, you know, you have your own depression there and your own struggle. So what do you guys, back to the thing, have you guys had any personal encounters with a desire for fame? Has that ever come up in your life? Russ? So I, I I do another podcast, which is, uh, and it's weird that people listen to it. When I started it, I didn't really think that people would listen to it. And it, and it started getting popular. And the weird thing is, if you go on iTunes and you put in sex addiction, 
not something I'm super proud of. It's not something you, <laughs> it's not something you talk about with, with family and functions, you know. What are you doing, Russ? I'm a professional <laughs> sex addict. Yeah. And so that podcast is still, like, popular in that genre. It, it, I think it was number one last time I looked, and that was about a month or so ago. Um, How and, many come and, up when you search for that? What's that? Number one out of... I'm... Oh, there's thousands now. There's hundreds. There's doctors that I'm... I'm over, like, fucking therapists and people that other people should probably be listening to rather than me. But, uh... I don't know. I make it more entertaining, I suppose. <laughs> it is my story, too. It's like I've been through that. Like, that was my fucking life, and I shared that. And I even overshared, and I've I've been able to pull some of that back. And I had Dan and Rick were kind of helpful with that. Like, fuck, you don't have to share everything. Um, but but it was weird that it got, it got to the point where people, publishers are approaching me. Um, I thought I could self-publish my own work, that kind of thing. Uh... I've interviewed famous authors, and and and, and it's it, it's weird, right? Like somebody's somebody's listening to that show right now. So that's another the weird thing that pops up. I don't know if it's a devil in my head or something, right? Like it's it's listened to a couple hundred times uh, a, a day or something like that, right? So I'm like, it, it's just weird. So I thought I could get famous off of that. Like, <laughs> Do I want to be famous off of that? No, not really. I even cut the cord on it a bunch of times. I cut it and didn't do a show for a long time. But but anyway, go ahead. Do you have that like Almost Famous? You know the movie Almost Famous? Uh-huh. Do you feel like any of that, like the kid in that, where he's like next to these people that are famous and trying to figure out what his relationship with them is? A little bit. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I do. Uh, Cameron Crowe. Yeah, Cameron Crowe directed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What's it's about him. It's his fucking yeah. story. Yeah. Um, not. I don't know. Not really. No. I'm not as disciplined as that cat. Like, <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a journalist who went to college and stuff. Um, and that's and it humbles me too because like who the fuck am I? I dropped out of high school. I was a drug addict. Uh, just about killed myself. But I don't know. Um, I'm not. I'm not concerned about being famous with it. At episode forty. I finally told the world. That it wasn't just porn, you know. I did forty episodes of that show before I really came clean about how really bad it really was. And then I told my wife, I thought I'd be divorced. You know, we we worked it out, and for the grace of God, she's still married to me. Um, we've had a lot of shit to work through, and so, it's it's just, it's a, it's a topic that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Fucking thirteen years later. So when the issue of fame comes up. Like, what scares you and what is attractive about it? I'd like to be able to make a living off it where I don't have to fucking drive my Uber and Lyft all goddamn day. and do That doesn't sound like fame desire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not really fame desire, is it? I don't, I, don't, I don't care if I'm... There was a part of me at one point that saw myself like on stage and speaking to churches and stuff until I found out that churches aren't really interested in talking about this topic. <laughs> How Especially the, the <laughs> pastors. And, and, and early on, I was actually called into like fucking conference calls. Like, oh, this guy does a podcast. Like, what the fuck do you want to talk to me? Well, because you're an outsider and you seem to be kind of an expert in this topic. You've been doing it for a few years. And I'm like, okay. And 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 but that yeah, was always my thing. Jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was sort of what we talked about here tonight. Is is my thing was always this, and it, it was pretty hardline. It was like, okay. Well, Pastor So-and-so, who's looking at porn, needs to get up on stage and say, I've been looking at porn. 
and, and I struggle with that. And here's what I'm doing to either break the habit or repair my relationship or whatever it is. And maybe he could start a group and you guys could, uh, other men could talk. Oh, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not interested in doing that. It's like, well, that's all I fucking got, man. You're either going to fake it and stand up there like a fucking hypocrite or you're going to actually embrace this thing and maybe make Jesus a savior instead of some pastor on some stage. And that's not a super popular So idea. to be clear, you envisioned yourself yeah, using helping the, people. You oh, know? done yet? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> using the institution as a platform. Yeah, as see, that's platform. another thing. I'm not an institutional guy. And I've been encouraged to go to college. Well, you should go get a psychology degree or go get at least a counseling degree and, or at least finish high school. <laughs> go get your GED or whatever. Uh, that and, would uh, totally help. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I always lied about my... I didn't... I only had one job that was ever passed up because I couldn't prove I had a high school diploma. <laughs> Nobody else fucking gave a shit. Um, but this is me. I have a I have a learning disability. I'm dyslexic. When I was in the third, fourth grade, I wrote everything backwards. My words, my letters. I wrote a paragraph backwards, you know, left to right. You could hold it up in a mirror and read it. That's how fucked up I was as far as school was concerned. And they just called me stupid. The teachers didn't want to deal with me. Oh, put them in special ed or whatever. They're pretty. They're a lot better at that today. Um, but yeah, that was that was just kind of where I'm at. Did I want to be famous? I don't know. I guess part of me kind of did. I would think it would be cool to have people think that I have this authority or whatever. What was um, the attraction in that? Like what part was most attractive? My ego. I think it was an egoic thing, really. My ego would get stroked, and I'd feel good about myself. What part? Which, which, and I'm kind of glad that it didn't happen because at that time. I still was pretty dealing with a lot of shit. You know? So, so when you stop stroking one phallus and stroke another, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, when you were like picturing that or imagining, imagining, imagining it in your head, like what kind of, what did it look like? Like what did? Well, you it, Mark Driscoll was a was a big when I when I first heard of Driscoll, like I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of like me, you know. Like he says swear words and he pisses off religious people and you know he's the cussing pastor and all that stuff and and I thought something like Driscoll you know if Driscoll could do it right fuck Russ Shaw could do it you know uh, he didn't go to seminary you're not compromised yeah no, no. damn it exactly Russ, morals got in the way again <laughs> you actually care yeah he doesn't have narcissistic personality disorder so man <laughs> no yeah. Yeah, and I was pissed. It broke my heart when that fucking guy didn't. When I found out he's a big liar and a faker and a. That's funny guy. that you say that. That came up today. Just me Ooh. thinking. No, oh, really. I, man, I feel like the church broke my heart. Mm, me too. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any like the idealism started to get yeah, squashed, mm -hmm. and I get that. Yeah. I totally I gave get you that. guys a lot of fucking leeway. There were only a couple ways you could fuck it up, and you just. <laughs> Fucking nailed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gave him a lot of fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that. Like, and part congratulations of for hitting the targets, you fucking assholes. Exactly. Yeah. And I always saw what was going on in the church basements much more like worship. Yeah. And community than what was supporting a pedophile over my wife is definitely bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? 
Can, can you be more spot on? Yeah. And as it's just sad, but that's what that's what that does, right? That's what addiction to power and money and authority and control. I don't frame that question in terms of fame, but the church conversation is interesting because I think with sort of evangelical indoctrination, I had some vague, ill-defined longing for meaning, significance, um, and maybe influence. But I, I, I couldn't tell you what I thought that looked like. I, I could tell you like maybe I was drawn to a certain energy. Um, I, I never saw myself like on a platform or something or, or, or famous per se, but, but it was a longing for, um, for those things, for the, the words that come to mind are, are, are significance, which I, I guess is akin to fame, right, on some level, because it scratches that same longing of affirmation or... Um, Significance doesn't have to be in the public eye, though. That's true. You, know, yeah. you can you can cure a disease, and the gratification you personally feel has to do with what you've done, not that you're in front of people. It's nice to be recognized for something or to kind of have affirmation or to feel good. Yeah. Um, I've always thought, because I, as, as, I, as I got older, and even now, like the longing for me is freedom more than anything else so I'm much more attracted to independence or to wealth than I would be fame because fame seems confining it doesn't seem like that would be a very yeah. free way to live I mean yeah you have money or whatever but uh, I think I was really attracted to it and wrestling with it and trying to figure it out probably a year and a half ago because I actually started to have a little bit of a brush with some fame like small scale local level with my job mm -hmm. and then you know I Gave some presentations at very large conferences to, you know, a thousand people or so, and some of them were governors or city mayors. Yeah, or I met a guy at the, the fair who's like, I know Derek Hahn, and he's in the, you know, Snohomish County. He's like, oh, I've heard him speak before, you know. And so like having that and that affirmation and being people saying, like, wow, that was like the best presentation in this whole mm -hmm. week of things. Um, and trying to figure out what that looks like. So that, yeah. like, a little bit of taste of that. Uh, and then, and then in that is like some frustration over my own conflict of desires in there. Because mm. part of me really doesn't want to do the work mm. to maintain that. Mm. Like really, really doesn't want to do the work. And I'm self-aware enough to know. I look down the, like, this is really fun if I do it a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. If I had to do this every day, <laughs> like, I couldn't do it. It'd be terrible. Like mm -hmm. some days I wake up and I just... And, you know, I don't think I can do it. And, so, and then there is some, like, self-flagellation over that. It's like, dude, you'd be so much more successful, right? Whatever that means. <laughs> if you weren't, you know, if you just buck up and make yourself miserable for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think right? there's another element, too, where you can kind of justify it, where you, you tell yourself, well, I'd be better than those other assholes I've seen. Right, right. This, I need it. Like, like, this is, yeah, like, I'm, like, I've seen some awful presentations from some real fucking idiots who are making the world worse. Like, at the very least, I could be a balance to things. Yeah. yeah. That, that shows up. I heard a comedian. That's the Trump mental illness. Uh, I heard a comedian talking about that. Like, he said, he was on a talk show. I forget who it was, Lucy K or some one of these guys. And he said, well, what do you think of YouTube now? Because you you're in the YouTube generation as a comedian. And he, go, he goes, honestly, it keeps... It keeps us from being lazy. 
He goes, sure. good comedians now, like you got to be sharp and you got to change your material a lot. Because, you know, 10 years ago, you could go on tour with the same fucking jokes yeah. for you a year. You could steal somebody else's jokes and nobody would know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Rogan was just talking about this. They have rules now when you go to a comedy show, they take your phone. Or they yeah, make so you they turn off because it. otherwise, yeah, it'll be on YouTube and everyone oh, will hear your material yeah. and no one will want to come see you because uh, they just saw it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. But that's what this guy was saying. Was it Seinfeld? It might have been Seinfeld, too. Seinfeld does that now. Seinfeld makes everybody leave their phone at the door. Because that guy needs more money. And <laughs> <laughs> more fame. He should really be worried about his reputation. One of the things no, I like about Seinfeld, <laughs> somebody asked Seinfeld why he doesn't do like really dirty jokes and stuff. He goes, like, he goes, because I think it's lazy. Because like it's too easy. Maybe he's just not he's good to make dick jokes. <laughs> he's Maybe it's because he's not he's, funny and he, he's, funny. he's funny. He's funny. No, he's he's good. What's the deal? He's the king of situations. I don't think he's funny at all. I think his stand up is terrible. I think his stand up is But the show. I stand with Derek. The show the show is funny because of Larry David. Seinfeld punched a fucking lottery ticket. That's what happened. Larry David is a genius. Larry David's lawyer. That I can agree with. Seinfeld is garbage. He punched a fucking lottery. I tried to watch the the Getting coffee in cars. Oh, uh, he's fucking awful. He has no chemistry. No. The only reason awful. that show is good is because the people he has on are so talented they can carry the show. Yes, it's only if you like the person he's with. He can't yeah. carry it. Mm -hmm. Some yeah. of them are bad. Seen, like when he that. he did the one with the uh, with his co-star from Seinfeld. That one was Michael Yeah. <laughs> that guy bombed. Anyways, fame. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Arthur, do you want to be famous? Um, I think that we. Arthur's uh, no, already I, I've I've never. Wanted to be famous. <laughs> I, I always thought it was—it's not my my thing. Um, but I, I I really wonder if we're watching like a a peak fame crash. Mm -hmm. Like I've had I thought too. With a, I mean I don't want this show to turn political, but the 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 whole Trump rise to the presidency and watching what's happening right now—it's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. Reality star in the Oval Office. That's true. I mean, like, the, the, the evidence the 80s, is mounted. He surrounded himself with criminals. The indictments have been pouring in from his his uh, his campaign and his administration. And we're watching someone work their way all the way up to the highest office in the land, and he's going yeah. to crash like a meteor. Yeah, well, but the funny thing is, like a, a big percentage of the country won't give a fuck and will still support him. <laughs> but he's probably gonna end up in jail. But that's a good point yeah. too, though, because I remember the '80s when Trump was on Letterman. You know, he was doing. He's just a businessman. Were we landing? He wasn't really. We were, we were landing it. We're, we're watching the the, the meteor. Oh, we're not, not giving more details. <laughs> I think Trump. one thing. <laughs> here's here's something that frightens me. We were on the plane. Check this out. Billie Eilish. We started the show with her. She's 17. And super fast. Yeah, you're she's super fascinated with 17. that. But it, how, I, Daddy I, I, said I she's too young, but she's old. I don't remember in history where someone was that famous at that age. She's not well, even. What's her face? She the, can't even smoke yet. I don't know. Rated our movie. The lady that did Royals. What was her? What's her face? Lord. 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 Lord was 17 when she came out with Royals. Wow, well, well, um, but she's from song. New Zealand. Oh, that so doesn't that's count. Different. So she's a, <laughs> aliens don't count. Yeah, she <laughs> could she could still go smoke and drink and go to a fucking bar in New Zealand. That's probably true, too. actually. So let's land the plane there, I guess. <laughs> and there's the unlimited <laughs> child stars. I, I don't know. This yeah. is terrible. Child, yeah. Bouncing child on stars. Google. Uh, uh, no. No. no, no, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. That's a huge bitch!
Thanks for listening to Punktheology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't chicken out! First of all, I plead innocent of all charges. This disc contains CD-ROM data and is not for audio use. Please press stop on your disc player now.